Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're really pleased to have you join us for the program. Jerusalem was no holy city at the time that Jeremiah was prophesying. They had forsaken God's word and were walking to the beat of their own drum. Jeremiah calls them to ask for the ancient paths and return to the word of God. Dr. Corbett is in Jeremiah chapter 6 tonight to ask for the ancient paths. Let's join him now. We're going to read in this chapter that the prophet Jeremiah says to the people of Israel, you've got ears but you're not hearing. And, and we know that the other prophets have said something similar where they've said, you've got, you've got eyes, but you can't see. You've got ears, you can't hear. You've got a heart, but it's not beating. And if all you understand is the, the natural sense of those terms, that's going to sound nonsensical. Of course they've got ears. What are those things painted on? Of course they've got ears. Yes, they've got eyes. Of course they've got a heart. They're breathing. They're, they've got a pulse. They're but that's not what the prophet's talking about. And here Jeremiah is going to say something similar. And, and I'm just aware that when, when we really want to see, sometimes we have to close our eyes to improve our vision. And sometimes we come to church with all kinds of doubts that have, we've been bombarded with through the week and we come out of a sense of duty and we think, I've just got to muster up faith. And let me tell you, the appropriate response to doubt is not faith the appropriate response to doubt is the truth because whether you believe it or not is irrelevant it's the truth and the truth will always dispel doubt so there are people who have grown weary and they need faith that faith that helps them to do what in their own strength they cannot do and you need strength you need faith there are those of you here today and you have decisions to make and you need the wisdom of god to make those decisions will you pray that in this moment god will give you that wisdom let's pray father i'm here again and i'm asking you to speak through me to speak to everyone listening and watching me right now father i just want to be a pipe just want to be a vessel just want to be hollow, just want you to pour in one end and have it come out the other. And Father, I just want to be the messenger today. And I pray, Lord, that whatever is in the recesses of people's hearts, whatever even those secret hidden things that people are holding on to, that, Lord, you'll shed light on those things today. Let things be said in this moment that will bring the light of God's word, the truth of God's word, the warmth of God's word, the penetrating heat of God's word by your spirit into our souls at this moment. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. We're in Jeremiah chapter 6. I remind you that we are looking at this book and we are generally taking our time. We, we really want to unpack this book. And, and today, as we look at Jeremiah, the prophet who wept, we have seen that from chapter 1 that God called him as a very young man. We would even say boy. In fact, that's what he called himself. I'm just a boy. 
how can you use me? I'm just a boy. And so we read here that Jeremiah, the prophet, the one who wept, became somebody who initially saw the word. Then we we see how he grew in his relationship with God and Jeremiah's relationship with God is one where he was seemingly forever reluctant. And, And I think Jeremiah is one of the greatest biblical proofs of God's dealing with people. Because here we have Jeremiah. He doesn't want to be used by God. He doesn't. And yet God continues to. And I know that there are people who say God can only work with a willing heart. You are going to read of a Jeremiah who was at times most unwilling. (laughs) And God still used him. And that tends to tell me that God is God. God will have his way. Now, we're going to see as we read scripture and we understand this, that when you yield to God, God is able to have his way quicker (laughs) in us. And I've discovered that it's better to give in quickly to God. If you pick a fight and you pick a fight with God, I'm just going to give you a little tip. You'll lose. You will lose. Uh, God has this, this habit of winning fights that he's involved with. So here we have Jeremiah, the reluctant prophet, the prophet who felt what he preached. We read in chapter 2 that he went from seeing the word to hearing the word. And Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 1 says this, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah. He began to hear God. He began to perceive is perhaps a better way of putting. He began to hear God. Hear, not audibly, but hear in his soul the word of God. And we, we, we hear the message that God gave Jeremiah and really it was a message that moved Jeremiah's heart. Jeremiah began to feel. So initially he saw things. He saw visions of almond trees. He saw visions of pots. He saw visions of all these things. And God said to him, what do you see? And he would say, well, I I see a tree. Yes. And what we're going to miss because we all speak and read English is the nuance of language. And all through Jeremiah, this is very, very clever. But we miss it. And we're going to miss it in a moment, even in verse 1, where there's a Hebrew word that God repeats back to Jeremiah with one letter difference. And it sounds like the word, but it changes the meaning for something God wants to say. For example, the word blow, like... Like blow? No? Um, Okay, let's try this one. Blow, like... Oh. (laughs) The Hebrew word for blow is one letter different. To the word Tekoa. Tekoa was the name of a town. We're going to read Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 1 and we're going to hear the Lord say, blow the trumpet in Tekoa. And we're going to go, random, big deal. So what? Random? It's not random. God's being poetic. He's using word pictures here and he's being almost funny Almost funny, but the subject is not humorous. And this happens all through Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah, the prophet who wept. And we're going to see here that Jeremiah has been pleading for these last five chapters to Israel, come back to God. And we read in chapter 3 that Israel was like a bride on her wedding night, still 
hasn't taken off her bridal outfit, he says in chapter 3. And she goes out to the street looking for another lover. And, and, and the prophet says, how could you forget you've just been married? You're still wearing the wedding dress and you're already committing adultery. And of course, this language of adultery is, is, is allegiance. It's belonging to someone. And God says, when you give your life to him, you, you form a relationship of allegiance that is more intimate than marriage. And God says, if you then have your heart more inclined toward others, and I remind you that the word enthusiasm comes from two Greek words, en, theo, filled with, en, Theo, God. To be enthusiastic is to be filled with your God. And the prophet here says, you've become more enthusiastic about other things than God. And he calls that adultery, spiritual adultery. Boy, what a, what a checkup for us. To go, are we more enthusiastic than anyone or thing or activity than you, God? Please, God. This is the interesting thing we read on in chapters 4 and 5 that the prophet Jeremiah says, the very thing you thought you would find by committing this spiritual adultery is the very thing that now eludes you. You're looking, as we're going to see in chapter 6, you're looking for rest and peace and prosperity. And those are the very things that God is taking from you because you are looking in the wrong places. So in a moment, we're going to read this in chapter 6. So the prophet Jeremiah is one who is going to remind Israel, don't look for the new thing. Return to the ancient thing. And I guess as a church, boy, how easy is it to become bored with the ancient and always looking for the new, the novel, the shortcut. Here, the people of Israel had become so fixated with the new and the shortcut and the this is the way to get real true spiritual power and it had led them inch by inch into compromise where they were physically now immoral and spiritually committing adultery. And the heart of the prophet is broken. And we're going to see that this section, which is chapters 6 and 7 and 8, and we're starting here, is, is Jeremiah more or less in the city, weeping over the city. And it should remind us of something Christ did in Matthew 23, where he went just outside of the city of Jerusalem. He looked over the city. And remember what he did? He wept. Jesus wept. What was going on in the heart of Jesus for him to weep like that? What, does, what, what, what do we know if we piece together the history of Jesus Somewhere either around this time, probably just before this time, Jesus has gone into the temple and it says, it says this, he went in and he looked. That's all he did. He just went in and he looked in the temple. And then he left. 
Then it says the next day, the next day, Jesus came into the temple with a whip. What had he seen the previous day? He'd seen a building dedicated to worshipping God. And what was happening in this building? People couldn't care less about God. People were selling worship. People were abusing the widow, abusing the orphan, abusing the stranger, the one who was not born Hebrew but wanted to know God. They were being abused and extorted financially and something in the heart of Jesus broke. He saw people praying and what he saw was pretense, which means they weren't really praying. They sounded like they were praying. They looked like they were praying. They put their prayer shawls on. They literally would come into the temple. I mean, literally come in with someone in front of them blowing a shofar, the ram's horn. This guy's about to pray. He's really spiritual, was essentially what the shofar was saying. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew 23. You have people blow trumpets to announce your spirituality. You insist that they look at you while you pray. And then Jesus comes in this day with a whip and he upturns the money tables. He drives these people out and then he declares this, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. Prayer, a place of communing with God, a place where our hearts are caught up. And and if you can reflect on what we've been doing today, we have been singing our prayers. The songs we sing are prayers. We don't want in, in, in our worship service songs that talk about our experience, but we want songs that exalt God, talk to God, commune with God, invite God to have his way and do something in us and declare to the world who this God is. That's what we want. So Jeremiah is going to invite the people, stop looking for the new Stop looking for the latest. You know, I hear Christians talk in this language and I get very uncomfortable because, you know, in Scripture we have what's called sufficient knowledge from God. It's sufficient. You know what it's sufficient for? For you to have a strong, healthy, vibrant relationship with God. If you never have one more dream... If you never have one more vision, if you never get a tingle on the back of your neck, if you never feel the flutter of angels' wings and you have God's word, you have enough. Thank God that this word says not only has he given us his word, he has given us his spirit who can speak it to us, remind us of us, uh, remind us of it and lead us in it so that we can have a dynamic relationship with God as he speaks and breathes. Thank God for it. But it's going to be grounded in the word. Amen. So here we go. Ask for the ancient paths as we look at this section. We're reading verse one. Flee for safety, O people of Benjamin. What the heck? Where'd that come from? 
Benjamin. Why Benjamin? Because we read in chapter 1 that this is where Jeremiah himself had made his home in Anathoth. He was a part of Benjamin. Jeremiah, although he was a Levite, in, in particular he was a part of the Aaronic priesthood. His father was a priest. He was a priest, but he lived in Benjamin. And so he's concerned about his own people. Flee, O people of Benjamin. Flee for safety from the midst of Jerusalem. Blow the trumpet into colour. I've already mentioned about how that's a play on words. And raise a signal on Beth Hakarim. For disaster looms out of the north and great destruction. Now what we're going to read here is that the prophet is, is describing the city in very unholy terms. Now this, I tell you, I, 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 I get a little bit agitated when I hear people today refer to the land of Israel as the Holy Land. In what way is Jerusalem the holy city? It's interesting that it's only referred to as such twice in the latter prophets of the Bible and in both instances it has to do with hosting the Messiah. That's what makes it holy. It hosted the Messiah. So what did this Messiah say of the city? What did Jesus say of the city in Matthew 23 and 24 when he came to the city? O you who stone the prophets and kill the ones I've sent to you, woe unto you. What would he say today? Remember what he got upset about? People making a pretense about praying. Anyone ever seen video footage of the Wailing Wall? They have mastered pretense. They have... I think Christ would have, today would be completely outraged at how unholy the city has become. Now, let's be very careful about how we think about holy lands, holy cities. You know, there's nothing particularly holy about the land of Israel right now. It's mostly made up of dirt. The same kind of dirt that our area is made up of. What makes an, an area holy? Well, God's presence and God's people living righteous lives, but it's not the actual dirt. So what we're going to read here is Jeremiah talking in, in language that is almost identical to the language that Christ used to describe Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 24. For example... Verse 6, come down here. For thus says the Lord of hosts, cut down her trees, cast up a siege mound against Jerusalem. This is the city that must be punished. There is nothing but oppression within her. This was not a holy city. And in the time of Christ, the one who made it holy for a moment was the one that they rejected. And Jesus, the one they rejected, said exactly the same thing as Jeremiah. This city will be surrounded by armies. They will lay siege to the city 
And exactly the same thing that Jeremiah said the Babylonians would do, Jesus said the Romans would do. Why? Because there is no greater sin than to reject Jesus. Now, I know that there are Christians here who think homosexuality is the greatest sin on the planet. It isn't. Rejecting Jesus is. There's no other forgiveness available if you, for, if you reject God's offer of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Jerusalem is no holy city. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 30 that God said this in the covenant. When they formed the covenant, that marriage covenant, he said this, If you become unfaithful to me, I will drive you out of the land and I will bring a foreign nation in. And that's exactly what happened. It happened with the Babylonians. They, Israel was eventually, Judah was eventually restored so that the Messiah could come. But they rejected the Messiah. And the Romans did exactly the same thing, thus fulfilling Deuteronomy 28, verse 30 as well. We read on just how evil this city had become. And it would be very easy to get a picture of something that's you know, just rampant wickedness everywhere. But we go on and the prophet in, in, in a moment, we, we read on uh, almost innocently. It says this in verse 11. Um, the Lord is full of wrath from holding it in. Now listen to the picture. The picture is, the picture is, huh? The picture is this. Pour it out upon the children in the street. So there's children playing in the street. There are gatherings of young men enjoying themselves as well. Husband and wives, the elderly and the very aged, are in this community. Now that doesn't sound like a horrible picture to me. But something's going on in their hearts that no one could see, perhaps, that God was deeply grieved over. Deeply grieved. I rush ahead, though. I don't want to do that just yet. But come back with me. Let's have a look at this. We, we come down to uh, verse 10. And this is what we, we see because it would be possible to think, well, maybe they become like this because... They'd lost God's word or they, they hadn't kept God's word up. The, perhaps it's not their fault. You know, they, they just become a little bit complacent and these things happen. And, and so this is how God assesses that kind of response. This is what he says, verse 10. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Now it sounds like a frustrated God. It sounds like God is saying, I have wanted to tell you, I've I've." I've Spoken, I've spoken, and I have spoken. We read in Proverbs chapter 1 that wisdom cries out on the street corner, yelling and calling for those who will listen. And yet they would not. And God says, I keep speaking, but who's going to listen? Who is listening here? Behold, their ears are... Now this sounds like mixing the metaphors. Their ears are uncircumcised. What's the word uncircumcised? Well, it's, it's kind of the idea. Uncircumcised is having something over it. So their ears are like they, they're wearing spiritual earmuffs. What, what are those spiritual earmuffs? And maybe there are some here today. And you say, so I don't hear God. I can't hear God. What's this all about? Well, you need a miracle. You need God to take away something from your spiritual ears to circumcise your spiritual ears 
so you can hear God. It says, behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. We read in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 18 that even in the New Testament, it says the word of God cannot be heard by people who do not have an ear for God. It is folly to them. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 that they don't have ears to hear. And this is what it says. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. So here we are, New Testament believers, people who want to please God, people who want God's best in our lives. We want God to have his way. We want him to be happy with our lives. This should give us a clue as to how we should pray. A prayer something like this. Oh God, I don't want my heart to get like this. I don't want my spiritual ears to get like this. I want to hear what you have to say to my soul. I want to hear you and I want to take pleasure in your word. Take pleasure in your word. So if if tomorrow morning you wake up and before you do anything, grab your Bible and if that is hard for you, repent. Repent and pray a prayer. Oh God, I don't want my heart to be reluctant. Oh God, I don't want my heart to be cold towards your word. I want to take pleasure in your word. I want to take pleasure in your word because this is the condition of the people of Israel at this time. They were not taking pleasure in the word of God. Jeremiah describes the scene. It's a scene that sounds quite innocent, but to God it's quite alarming. It's dangerous. It says in verse 12, Their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. Sin has a price to pay. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. There is a price to pay where there is sin. When when you just go about your normal life, I mean, this looks like a pretty normal picture. Children playing in the streets, young men hanging out, enjoying themselves, husbands and wives going for a walk, the elderly and the aged are there. That sounds like a great community. But a community without God, Ephesians 2.12 says this, it is possible to live without God. And if you live without God, you are living without hope if you have no hope you need god this is a picture of a society that had said we don't need god interesting in this translation it says in verse 11 both husband and wife shall be taken now i know in matthew 24 jesus uses exactly the same language two shall be in a field one will be taken one will be left two will be in a bed one will be taken one will be left And that word taken, some have made to mean in Matthew 24 that that's the rapture. I tell you now, that ain't the rapture. That is exactly what Jeremiah is talking about here with the Babylonians laying siege to Jerusalem and bombarding it with catapults. There'll be people playing in the streets. One of them will get hit. That's being taken, taken out. This is the picture that Jeremiah is painting. What you think is okay, what you think is normal, what you think is hardly worth getting upset about, I, the Lord, am deeply grieved over and people will pay a price very soon. But maybe, maybe it's not everybody. Maybe the prophet has kind of got a mishandle on this. No. We read on in the next verse, verse 13. From the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain, for unjust gain. From the prophet to the priest, everyone deals falsely. What a terrible, terrible situation to be in. 
You know, God's priests were designed to be clothed. It says in Psalm 132, verses 9 and 16, God's priests were meant to be clothed with righteousness. And it says, when they are, the people can sing for joy. The people can sing for joy. This is what the people were supposed to be. This is what the priests were supposed to do as well. Verse 16, for thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. In, in verse 14, there's false prophets saying that if you do what we say, Everything will be okay. You can just have peace. You'll enjoy peace. This is the way to find peace. Cross your legs, curl your fingers and go om. Where are we looking for our peace? We'll come back to this in a moment. So here, rest. The prophet says there is a way God has already revealed and it's there that you'll find rest for your souls. We can, we can go on and, and we, we, we remember that Jesus says, I'm the one who gives peace. I'm the one who gives rest. Matthew eleven twenty nine, come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace for your souls. Or crossing your legs, wearing orange, shaving your head, circling, circling your fingers and thumb and going on. That's not the way to find lasting peace. It's in Jesus, in communion, in fellowship with Jesus. And that's what he said, Matthew eleven twenty nine. We go down to this section uh, down, uh, verse 20. What use to me is frankincense that comes from Sheba or sweet cane from a distant land. Um, during that day, sweet cane came from the land of India and it was used in religious festivals. Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your offerings pleasing to me. Sounds like Isaiah 11 verse, uh, sorry, 1 verse 11, where the prophet Isaiah says, I take no delight in your burnt offerings. Your religious festivals, all the things you do religiously, look, yes, you're religious, but so what? I'm not after heartless religion. I'm after your heart. And the people were not giving God their heart. God says he does not want their heartless religion. So we read um, in... Uh, chapter, in, in verses 22 down to 25, that a foreign nation was going to come and punish them. God was going to, God was going to use another nation to punish them. We, we come back to this condition in verse 14. This is what the priests and the prophets had done to the people. They'd lied to them. They told them, God says this to you. God says do this. And God had never said it. He never wanted it. That These people were false prophets, false priests. These people were saying, oh, there's not disaster coming upon you. Jeremiah always talks about hell and punishment and sin and wrath. <laughs> He's so yesterday. God is so hip and cool and trendy and flippant and we can just call him a mate. And we can just do whatever we want. And he'll smile because he's just happy to give us whatever we want. He wears a red suit. And he comes one day of the year with a big bag over his shoulder. He's awesome. And then you have an encounter with this God and you realise, and you realise the very thing that you really, really want is peace and rest for your soul is the very thing he offers. And it's the very thing that we have been fighting 
And Jesus Christ is called by the prophet Isaiah, the Prince of Peace. And I finish with this. Do you need rest for your soul? Do you need peace for your soul? Are you at peace with God? That peace is possible when you come and you lay down your life before the Prince of Peace and say, I need you to rule in my heart, in my life. Have your way. Father, I pray that we will be a people of your spirit, that we will be a people of your word. Father, there are those here who have grown cold and weary and have let things drop. And now, Lord, you call us to take delight once again. And Father, there are those here who may feel a million miles away from you. And here's the truth of your word. You may have walked a million miles away from God, but you are only one step away from coming back to him. You can turn right where you are and it begins with a prayer that says, Oh God, I'm sorry. Oh God, please forgive me. Oh God, come into my life and be my Lord and take over. I need you. And Father, for those here today, I sense in my spirit are facing a, a decision that they have to make. Lord, give them wisdom. And Father, I just sense you saying you want to give them godly counsel. Your grace of wisdom will be administered through godly counsel. So Father, do it, we pray today for those who have decisions to make. Perhaps you're here and you've never given your life to Christ. You may feel a million miles away from him, but you are only one step from him. It's the step that turns you around. The step that says, God, I need you. I want you. There's a prayer you can pray that will be that step back to God. God, forgive me. Come into my life. Help me to live for you. You pray that prayer, your life can be different for eternity and from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. Walking your own path, marching to the beat of your own drum, separate from God, abandoning his word, it leads to destruction. Ask for the ancient paths, pleads Jeremiah. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah Session 12, Ask for the Ancient Paths, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.